Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Joining us now from Capitol Hill is NBC's Ali Vitali. Also with us is Brendan Buck, former top aide. The speaker is Boehner and Ryan, and he's an MSNBC political analyst. So, Ali, what's happening with the vote at this hour? Yeah, I believe, Jose, that the vote is not yet closed, but that the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, has passed. Brendan knows this hallway well, just outside the House floor, and I'm peering down into the chamber as I'm watching members leave, specifically looking out for the speaker, who seemed to go away from our camera, but who, if he comes back, we will, of course, try to engage him. I'm sure you will, but he's a little busy. Meanwhile, the House did advance the NDAA. And you have got a lot of very, very unhappy Democrats. And then, of course, the standard unhappy Hakeem Jeffries. Our view of the National Defense Authorization Act is that it is woefully irresponsible that extreme MAGA Republicans have hijacked a bipartisan bill that is essential to our national security and taken it over and weaponized it in order to jam their extreme right-wing ideology down the throats of the American people. I thought it was the extreme MAGA agenda. I get it all confused. Uh, Here's the story, Representative Jeffries. You lost. Deal with it. Move on. But the Senate better pass it. Otherwise, there's a 1% cut across the board. Remember the deal? McCarthy and Biden made a deal. You pass everything or the penny plan goes into effect and there's a 1% cut across the board. So tell Chuck Schumer to put on his big boy pants and just get it done. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What is going on? That's my... That's my falsetto right there. I do that every now and again when I'm excited. 833-GOT-TONY. Would love your phone calls. 833-468-8669. I don't actually know if it's going to get past the, the Senate. I don't know if these things uh, that were, were voted on um, are going to be able to be handled by Senate Democrats. These conversations about should the federal government via the U.S. military pay someone for crossing state lines in order to have an abortion because it's not available in their state? Should that be something that the military pays for for someone's spouse, for example? Well, uh, Republicans said no, and Democrats said, how dare you? Nothing is more important than the right of people to be able to kill babies. All right, they said it a little bit differently, but I think that's what they were going for. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The messaging changes from time to time, but I think if if I were to do an analysis, that's kind of where they were heading. So the NDAA will now go uh, to the Senate. We'll see how this plays out. Um, there are Democrats who voted for it, by the way, just so we know. You've got Jared Golden of Maine. Um, you have Marie Perez of Washington, Vasquez of New York, and Don Davis of North Carolina. 
So they're going to be Republicans are going to be able to say bipartisan National Defense Authorization Act, your move, Senate. That's what they're going to be able to say. The big news right now is coming out of uh, the blaze where there is a candidate summit and Tucker Carlson is asking the questions. People still talking about his conversation with Andrew Tate and whether or not it was necessary. Andrew Tate, a guy who's big online, he's going to teach you uh, uh, how to be a, you know, an alpha male or something like that. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, 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 it's, it's, it's madness, if you, if you ask me. It's not an interview uh, that I think helped uh, Tucker Carlson, but controversial figures will bring uh, views, and, and so there it is. Now he's having a conversation with um, people running for president. And one of those people is Tim Scott. And the conversation with Tim Scott, I don't think got rude, but I think it got pointed. You know, the threat of war very quickly. So why not force a peace? How would you do that? Well, you could tell Ukraine, and they are a client state of the United States, without American backing, there's kind of no Ukraine. We're literally paying the salaries of their bureaucrats. Um, We want you to sit down, as they tried to do, but were stopped by our government, um, and stop this war. Yeah. And, and reach a peace as, as one does, where both sides, you know, concede some of their interests. Like, why wouldn't that be in our interest to do that? I think the faster we get to peace, the better off we are. What we don't want to do, from my perspective, is allow ourselves to ask for a premature peace that cannot be achieved as the alliances continue to come together. Uh, to the extent that we can find our path out of this situation, the better off we are. So what's the point at which we'll know that we've achieved our goal? Just, and, and I say that within the context of having watched 20 years of occupation in Afghanistan where nobody could answer the question, what's the point? Yes. And no one in Congress ever asked that question, amazingly. So what is the, what is the specific goal here? Yeah, so I would say that the objective should be for Zelensky and Ukraine to be able to achieve victory by maintaining as much of their territory as they possibly can and then seeing the resources that we've deployed, along with our Western alliances, achieving the peace that I believe comes when you get these two folks to sit down and have a conversation that allows them to determine where those lines will be drawn for the next hundred years. Okay. You understand that Senator Tim Scott was not prepared for the question. And I can't believe it. I cannot believe that he was not prepared for the question. The first question he gave a word salad to, you would have thought it was Kamala Harris. The second question he also gave a word salad. You either believe in sitting down for the peace or you believe in Russia being pushed back and Ukraine giving up no land whatsoever. We can argue, while someone may put out a third, we can argue that the that the result is pretty much binary. Nobody is making the statement, well, Ukraine has to lay down and the whole place becomes Russia. No one's actually making that argument. This is the point that I would make to Tucker if I'm being asked the question. Tucker, you're making the argument. And I'm not saying that, that, that it's a bad argument. I'm saying it is an argument that Ukraine has to give something up. 
You're walking in saying Ukraine has to give something up, and your argument is, well, as reasonable people do. You're putting now to the theory, to a, a theory or a test to the theory that Vladimir Putin is, is a, a reasonable guy. I don't believe that to be true. If you tell me that Ukraine needs to give up the Donbass, and Vladimir Putin says, no, 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 I want everything east of the river, the river that goes to Kiev, I forget the name of the river right now, is that it? Am I allowed to say no? If I say no, am I a warmonger? So I think the question's got to be, where does the pushback go back? If the answer is Donetsk and Luhansk, the Donbass region, that southeast quadrant, and this is over, okay, now do you trust Vladimir Putin to hold? Maybe you do, and maybe, as we both know in warfare, you never know who to trust. It lasts for three years, it lasts for eight years. You get out of the problem now, you might have a problem in the future. That's the real world. Or do you say, we're going to put the money into this until Vladimir Putin is simply a shell of himself in the fetal position, wetting himself right there on the Kremlin floor. He gets absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, Ukraine takes back Crimea, and we're going to make Georgia free again. Now you say to me, well, then that's a war posture. And I'll say to you, maybe it is. But to ask the question, we're not, we have to accept the fact that a line will be drawn. I think you're right that Ukraine's going to have to give up the Donbass. That is what's going to bring the peace fastest and easiest. These people see themselves as ethnic Russians. It's probably the easiest way out. But you have to do it with the caveat that if Russia tries to push further, you got to end Russia. You have to end Vladimir Putin. It's not because I want to, and it doesn't make me a warmonger for recognizing the facts. It might make you a little bit naive if you think you can just achieve a peace this way and have nothing happen ipso facto. The answer I just gave is as unpolitical as an answer of an answer as can be. But it is clear compared to Tim Scott. Peace is. There is no easy answer for what peace is. If the United States, and we're going to argue that the United States is paying the money so the United States makes all the decisions that Ukraine's nothing more than a vassal state of the U.S., we're giving up the Donbass and that's it. But that is predicated on the idea that Russia accepts. Now, Russia right now might very well accept. Russia might very well accept. They're beaten, they're bloodied, they're hurt, they're damaged. It's costing them money they don't have. They might accept. But one of the questions has to be, what if they don't, Tucker? What if they don't? This involves actual war gaming. What I learned from this exchange, which I think is outrageously important, by the way, and you know I like Tim Scott a lot. Tim Scott, it turns out, doesn't have anywhere near him I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious. He does not have a wartime consigliere. He doesn't have it. 
He doesn't have anyone who has ever walked down the primrose path with him. Answered these questions. Pushed him. Gotten in his face. What do you think? Talking about the opportunity of America is going to be enough? People are going to ask real questions. Why aren't you ready to answer them? What are you, a wimp? What's wrong with you, Tim? Man up. Let him drop. Let's go. That answer is so not ready for prime time from Tim Scott. I can't take it. Aw, oh, it kills me. It kills me, guys. You know it does. I like the dude. I didn't think that was him. Oh. Why do people watch and why will they continue to watch Tucker? Slice and dice, kids. That's good stuff. Meanwhile, Speaker McCarthy on the NDAA just coming out with a statement via a press conference. First of all, thank you for coming. I'm sorry to disappoint you that um, Republicans continue to keep our promises. And we just, again, from all your questions all week long, will the NDAA pass this week? Not many of you ever asked me about the policy. So I want to spend some moment. Your first question, yes, it passed. Now let's actually get through to what we promised the American public what we'd do. So there it is. Oh, it's a little bit of gloating right there. He's not wrong. He's not wrong to do it. As more comes out from this uh, summit, this candidate summit thing, I'll bring it with you. I'll bring it to you. Uh, Like, for example, here's Asa Hutchinson just... Oh, God, it's he he's the former governor of Arkansas. This is savage in face. And I believe in a limited role of government. And so, you know, if I don't think that California ought to be able to tell parents, you need to have gender affirming care for the children. The government should not do that. And in the same way. Let's keep the government out of it unless it's that extreme case, and let's let parents guide the children. I stand with parents. So, and and, amen for standing with parents, and I think everyone in the room would agree with that. Um, But the reason I asked the question was not to bring up a sore subject, which I I know that it is, uh, but (laughs) to ask if in the subsequent two years, you you had said that you drew the line at castration of, of physical altercation of a child's body because it's permanent. But in the subsequent two years, I think we've learned that hormone therapy for prepubescent children is permanent. It changes the bone structure. It changes the brain of the child. It, a lot of people believe, including me, that it, it destroys the child's life. But it is permanent. It's not reversible. So given that and the standard you just articulated, do you have different feelings? I mean, this is a permanent change we are making to a child. Why would we allow that if we don't allow surgery? Well, you, permanent change is one issue, but also hormonal treatment is a different issue and can be a different issue. And whenever you look at the bill that I vetoed, there was not any grandfather clause in there. Again, uh, I respect legislators that have a different view, but I think independently, I think of the parents, I think of the Constitution, and actually the court, if you read the decision of the federal judge that struck it down as unconstitutional, really sided with parents as well. But how, is it whenever, treat, but how is it treatment? I guess that's my question. If you have a child who says, who's born a boy, I want to become a girl. He hasn't gone through puberty yet. He's, say, 10. Is it treatment 
to prevent him from going through the natural process of adolescence? How is that treatment? It, it seems not like treatment. It seems like something else. Well, you have to... Tucker, I hope that we'll be able to talk about some issues. I know that... Well, this is one of the biggest issues in the country, and I think I would. every person in this room would agree. Asa Hutchinson is disqualified. Holy cow! That's two! Not prepared to answer the question. On the Republican ticket... If you are okay with puberty blockers for 10-year-olds, you don't get to be the nominee. You don't get to be on that ticket. Basically, Tucker, let's move on. Wow. That's... I man, I I will tell you, I'm, I'm bothered by Tim Scott. Maybe, I mean, he, he can learn how to have the answers. But you got to be willing to give them. You got to be willing. Oh, oh for two. Good Lord. I'm Tony Katz. Let me ask you this. First of all, we have uh, accusatory commentary of Soros DAs. Let us not put an individual that is not here a contributing American, and jeopardize his life for always throwing his name out in the most ugliest of way. I am offended by that. Sosaurus does not de- deserve that. He is an American and a patriot, and he also comes from a minority community, one might say, and you create a dangerous situation. That's unfortunate. That's Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. George Soros is an American? Now, I swear to you, I have always known him as Hungarian. We're saying Hungarian-American, right? That's, that's what we're saying. So, okay. Just make sure we're, we're all on the same page there. Patriot? All right. That, that one we can really argue, right? That one we can really and truly argue. But most importantly, we can argue that talking about George Soros does not make one an anti-Semite. That's nonsense. Soros supports bad candidates. Soros supports bad policies that hurt America. Therefore, not a patriot. Just stating the facts, kids. That's all I'm saying. Meanwhile, the question remains, what will McCarthy do to punish the FBI for not answering questions? That's next. I don't think anybody looked at Christopher Wray, the FBI director, speaking in front of Congress and said, that is a forthcoming individual. That's a guy who's letting you know what's up. You know what? I find I like Christopher Wray. I think he's he's very warm. He's very welcoming, totally inviting. He's bringing you in. You actually get to know what's going on when Christopher Wray is in charge. No one thinks this. It's because no answers were given. 
time and again and again, it was, well, let me get my staff with you on that one. I don't think I could really discuss it here. Even Jonathan Turley, I shouldn't say even, Jonathan Turley, uh, the known lawyer, uh, saying Ray's playing Americans for chumps. So what will Congress do about it? I mean, that's the that's the question before us. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And don't forget, Let's Go Barbecue, available at Amazon.com. The perfect gift. Get it now. Let's Go BBQ, recipes, tips, and tales from the pit, available at Amazon.com. You see, I talk about my book when I bring in Ed Marcy and talk about his book. There he is. That right there. It's Ed Morrissey. He is the capo de tutti capo over at hotair.com. He is also the author of the book Going Red, a fantastic look uh, at some previous elections and what it takes to win future elections. I have my signed copy, of course, in my very hands. Uh, I don't know how, uh, Ed, anybody looks at the testimony given in front of the House Oversight Committee by Christopher Wray and thinks that this is a forthcoming government that's honest with the people. What was your take of Ray's uh, testimony in front of the House Oversight Committee? No, I think my take is exactly your take. Uh, this guy doesn't present any answers. And to, to, to a point that is absolutely ridiculous. Now, one of the issues that came up was the Richmond, Virginia offices, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, memo targeting rad trad Catholics as if the FBI could even possibly identify that uh, as some sort of crypto um, crypto radical violent group that was about to unleash, you know, hate violence across America over a, uh, over their opposition to abortion, somehow overlooking the fact that the entire Catholic Church is opposed to abortion. This was prompted by the Southern Poverty Law Center and their political manipulations. The FBI office in Richmond, Virginia, fell for this crap. Uh, it got exposed in February. Now, I, I bring this up for a purpose. It got exposed in February. This was a memo that was developed at the Richmond, Virginia office. It was signed off by five members of leadership there, including their um, their general counsel of that office. And once it got exposed by Uncover DC, the FBI hit retreat. Oh, no, 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 no. This was a work product. That's really bad. Never mind. We're not going to do this. And at the time, they said, Congress said, we need you to explain how this happened. And Christopher Ray said, well, you know, we need to take a look into this. Now, the FBI is supposedly the premier investigative agency in the world, Tony, the premier investigative agency in the world. It is investigating its own office in Richmond, Virginia. And five months later, Christopher Ray doesn't have any answers. Right. Now, <laughs> come on, man. First of all, two things here. First, when you say rad trad, that is radical traditional Catholics, yeah. right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right? Yeah. Just too, too much lingo. On the same page. And then talk about not being able to do an investigation. There it is. Secret <laughs> Service couldn't crack the case of the White House cocaine. There is no, you know, there are a few things. Uh, Ed, that bring Americans together, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of race, religion, anything else. You could gather 100 Americans from every corner of society. And if you tell them, yeah, there was cocaine found in the White House, but the Secret Service doesn't know who brought it in, they'll all say to you, nah. <laughs> they, 
they all know that the fix is in on this one, or certainly that's the politics of it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, it's even got better because it said the, they they sent the bag over to the FBI laboratory, and the FBI laboratory said that there were no fingerprints or DNA on the bag, and that's. I mean, come on, man. Somebody wiped that bag with a cloth, to to quote Hillary Clinton. That's that's the only way that that happens. Somebody takes a bag out of their pocket and drops it someplace in the White House. It's going to have fingerprints on it. It's going to have a DNA transfer on it. The idea that this thing was pristine when it got to the laboratory. I mean, and I'm, I'll credit the FBI with, with you know, actually uh, telling the truth about this. Somebody cleaned it up before it got over to the FBI laboratories. The only explanation for this. And the idea that in the West Wing, we're presumably there's surveillance video all over the place because, you know, they're protecting the president and his staff. You know, that is the operational headquarters of the executive branch. So my guess is that the Secret Service has a camera or two around there. The idea that they couldn't identify who dropped a bag of cocaine is ridiculous. And, Tony, I'll ask you this. If that bag had anthrax in it, do you think that they would have had uh, somebody in uh, handcuffs by now? I would only assume yeah. that they would. And this is where this this argument becomes very, very odd. We're talking about safety and security here. We're certainly talking about personal responsibility here. And the White House has no interest in it. And it seems that leftist media has no interest in it. Talking to Ed Morrissey of hotair.com. This brings us back to the FBI. They won't answer a, a question about the the uh, what they did in terms of investigating Catholics in America. They won't answer a, a question uh, about January 6th and what level of of people were maybe in crowds in places. I'm not making the argument that there aren't some people guilty for engaging in a riot. I am saying, where was the FBI? Why won't they answer questions? There's a a multiplicity of things. How about the idea of warrantless searches and you have phone companies just gladly giving over records to the FBI of phone calls and other things without a warrant, even Democrats asking about warrantless searches, whether it was Representative Lofgren of California or the leader of the Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal out of Washington State. This was Kevin McCarthy on Fox News speaking to Martha McCallum. We heard from Christopher Wray yesterday um, and and his overall tone, I would say, is, look, we were, we do an amazing job here at the FBI. And here was his response when he was asked about whether or not the Bidens do get any special treatment in these situations. Watch. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. Do you believe that? Do you agree with what Christopher Ray said? Do you think that, that he's credible with that answer, Speaker? He, he's not credible with the answer. And I think his whole testimony shows the FBI is actually broken under his leadership. And I'm not talking about the rank and file agents who are doing their job every day. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the work you're doing. But the bureaucracy is broken. Because remember what Ray said even in his testimony here. He wouldn't answer questions. He didn't tell us why the FBI went after Catholics. He wouldn't apologize when the FBI FBI went after parents. He wouldn't tell us or apologize for using companies to spy and their data to spy on average Americans. But what's even more importantly, when he knew he had a 1023, a a person that he actually still pays to this day, an informant that provided him information about the Biden Inc. family, he ignored it. And he didn't. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a litany of things. Here's the question. And the only one that matters, Ed Morrissey, When will the Republican Party 
hold the FBI responsible, when will they, in, in the words of many, punish the FBI? And how in the world does that happen? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is tricky because you can impeach a, an FBI director. But then the Senate has to remove an FBI director, and I don't know that they're there yet. I, I will say this, though. There was a development this morning where it came out that uh, the FBI had seized the Google Mail of a couple of uh, Devin Nunez's uh, aides, um, and I can't remember the names of the people who were involved, that were looking into Operation Crossfire Hurricane in 2017. And they that just came out, I think, this morning or late last night. And that is an egregious intrusion on congressional um, authority. Maybe if if that gets sustained and it's shown that, uh, th and this may have been before Ray was even FBI director, it could have been under James Comey. In fact, I think it may have been under James Comey um, that this is uh, that this is going to be something that might move the needle a little bit more in the Senate. But I actually think that an impeachment vote at this point would basically close it out, right? So you impeach him, you impeach him by three votes, four votes in the House. All of a sudden, this becomes, well, this is old news. The media stops paying attention to it. I think it's a much better strategy to keep bringing FBI officials to Capitol Hill to have televised hearings and keep asking them these questions, especially the one now about the um, about the House Intel staffers that were um, surveilled by right. the FBI. But this For, isn't the first surveillance uh, that that we we've seen, wasn't it? Going right. back to J when James Rosen was at Fox, wasn't he being surveilled? That's uh, a lot of the Obama administration. Yeah, I mean, he was a reporter, right? And right. they were surveilling him because supposedly he was leaking information. This is different. The FBI is surveilling the Article One branch, <laughs> the officials in the Article One branch, uh, for doing their Article One duty of oversight of the FBI. I mean, that is really a a, uh, a constitutional insult, and I don't think that the um, I don't think that Congress can stand by and allow that to stand. Well, well the, this this one certainly allows itself to be insulted very very often. I have never seen, uh, especially when it comes to Congress, a, 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 a part of a branch so willing to abdicate its responsibility uh, to the executive branch talking to ed morrissey of hotair.com the question here is about defunding now christopher ray i don't care that he's an appointee of donald trump that means nothing donald trump appointed a lot of bad people who couldn't do the job right. those are just the facts as presented i don't care that he's a trump appointee it means nothing i'm also not saying that that ray hasn't done work to try and clean up what it is James Comey and company had done there in making it a completely political branch. And you can even go before him. But Ray is not answering the questions. When we talk about punishment, does the Republican Party, do the Republicans in the House have what it takes to defund the FBI as people like Congressman Thomas Massey made note of repeatedly in his commentaries to Christopher Ray? Well, I mean, not in this session of Congress. And again, the, the problem is, is that Democrats control the Senate. Democrats control the White House. They can pass a bill that defunds the FBI, but the Senate is going to put the funding back in. And either you shut down the entire government 
or you're going to have to figure out some sort of way to compromise on this. But I mean, I think that this becomes a bit a better issue in terms of voters in 2024. And that's the reason why you keep having these hearings. You keep bringing people up there. You keep having these C-SPAN clips that go out and, and, and get people's notice on this. You know, especially in terms of the censorship regime. He wouldn't answer questions about the censorship regime either. And that got exposed six months ago. And he still doesn't have answers on that, even though the FBI participated in that. Uh, there's all sorts of emails that show that FB, the FBI participated in that. And Chris Ray yesterday was or two days ago was saying, oh, uh, well, you know, we, that's not what we do here. Of course, it's what you do here. We've got documentary evidence to prove that's what you what you do here. Um, so I think that that's I think it works better as an argument in 2024 for a way to just clear the decks and get people in there that are going to actually reform this and actually drain the swamp. As has been posited, you know, since 2015, actually draining means actually firing people by the tens, by the hundreds, in many cases, by the thousands. If yes. I'm yes, that's how it's done. Before I let you go, it was a story over at Newsmax that kind of took me by surprise because this is the kind of talk that you expect out of the Trump acolytes on social media, not from news. And this was it. There's a DeSantis memo reassuring donors and laying out for them what the campaign is. And the campaign seems to be very aggressive about New Hampshire. It's necessary for Ron DeSantis to reassure donors. What do you know about this? Well, I think it's a, it's a response to a lot of this media narrative going around that the DeSantis, the DeSantis campaign is collapsing, which is nonsense. DeSantis raised $20 million in six weeks in the second quarter, never back down, raised um, 67 million organically in Q2 and 83 million got an additional 83 million got transferred into never back down from DeSantis's uh, 2022 gubernatorial campaign. These guys have got a lot of money. They've had a lot of they had a lot of money before that. They're building an organization. It's not just New Hampshire. It's also Iowa. In fact, I would say probably more Iowa than New Hampshire uh, and South Carolina. And the the point of that is to build a ground organization that can turn out the vote. Now, you still have to be a good candidate. I mean, this is stuff, stuff that I wrote about in Going Red. It depends on how you build this thing and, and, you know, what the communication levels are, how you're contextualizing agendas for voters in local communities. All of that matters. And I don't know how the DeSantis campaign is doing that. But I do know that at least they're building the, the, a, a, a vote. Uh, turnout machine that that doesn't that doesn't exist for any other candidates, especially Donald Trump. And so the idea that we're 40 days away from a from the first debate that Donald Trump isn't even going to participate in and somehow a campaign is in collapse. That's just <laughs> that's just gotten 20 million dollars in six weeks is ridiculous. And I think it struck me as odd. I just wanted yeah. to hear it. His name is Ed Morrissey. The book going red by Ed Morrissey. You can find it at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. You just won't find a really cool uh, signed copy like, like I've got right there. Very fancy. I'm a very fancy man right there. Ed, always appreciate it. There is so much more coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. So farmers are dumping milk. And it's weird. It's weird to hear. Because we take a look at food prices and we see how expensive things are. And then we're like, how in the world are they not just needing milk everywhere? How is this something that could be dumped? There's an oversupply and the cows still have to be milked. Because if not, the, the, cow, the cow can get 
sick, ill, create problems for wanting to milk the cow down the road when you when you need the milk. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Demand is down 20%. Now, some of this makes sense. If you have people out of the COVID world and COVID mentality, so they're out of a, for example, baking and cooking mentality, well, it could make sense that milk demand is down. So if you're down, and for example, as the story comes from News Nation, milk demand for milk is down 20%. And there's a publication called The Milkweed. I kid you not. I couldn't make this up if I wanted to. The daily loss of sales in the region equals about 25 semi-trailers of milk per day. And milk prices have come down because there's not as much demand for it. So in 2022, June of 2022, milk was 230 a gallon. Now, I should say in April, it was a buck 78 a gallon. Look, there are a lot of things as we talk about the economy, and we're going to talk to Akash Chaguli of Americans for Prosperity in a little bit about reality is different, but reality involves an understanding of what's happening. There is a reason milk prices have come down, and it's because there is simply too much milk and not enough demand for it, supply and demand being very, very real. And so if we want to argue, well, food prices have come down, they haven't. The inflation rate is still 5.7% on food. Makes you wonder how expensive the other things are. I will discuss that coming up. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.